Hey, welcome back, Warriors of Light, to Let's Mosey. What's happening? This, this week we're going to start off again with our news segments, uh, and then we'll move through and spend some time going through, continue our journey through Final Fantasy 1. This week we're going to talk about the rumor mill just a little bit. Josh, what are your thoughts on the rumors that Sony may be interested in buying Square Enix? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's just being talked about because uh, Microsoft has acquired Bethesda and they think that Sony should do something as a, a retaliatory measure of sorts to ensure a AAA studio is going to be making games specifically for your console. Yeah, you know, that I think that is really fueling the fire. All the new acquisitions, particularly the uh, Zenimax acquisition by Microsoft. And and the fact that I, I think also the fact that Sony and Square Enix seem to be so kind of buddy-buddy lately anyway. All their games are, whether they're, they're maybe not Sony exclusive, but they are time, often timed exclusives for um, Sony. Or even we had Square Enix did the Avengers game recently and you know you got a special character Spider-Man if you played on Sony so they they've got a lot of a lot of deals going on between Square Enix and Sony and I think that feeds those the flames a little bit I would agree with that I tend to agree with you though I don't I don't think this is going to happen I don't think it's substantiated I I don't think as far as I can tell Square Enix doesn't really need to be bought they don't have any desire to be bought I particularly don't want to see them, but I, I like I like my Final Fantasy the way it is right now, and I, I don't really want to see that changing. But it's a, it's definitely an interesting topic to, to consider, right? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. I um, think it's a good point. Yeah, so I, I think we could probably bust that one and say it's, it's that's just very unlikely. The next bit of news I wanted to talk about was uh, Final Fantasy VII getting the nod for a potential game of the year, Final Fantasy VII Remake, I should say, getting some accolades at the Game Awards. Didn't win, didn't take Game of the Year, but it was nominated. Uh, it has won Game of the Year from a few other sources, which has been pretty uh, pretty awesome, pretty exciting to see this game that I know, for one, I love so much, getting some of this, this renown that it deserves. Right. Well, I I actually had seen um, one collection of games reviewed and listed, you know, like as like the top 10 of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, it showed Final Fantasy VII Remake as number two with 10 out of 10 behind The Last of Us Part Two, which got 8 out of 10. And I was like, huh. Yeah. that's a that's a, you know a controversy. I think maybe a lot of people were pretty you know Last of Us Part Two is not a bad game and it's a it's a really good game. But there's a lot of people out there questioning if it should have been the game of the game year. of the year. Yeah, I'm in the camp that I don't really think it should have been. I think that honor should be either with Final Fantasy Seven R or Ghosts of Tsushima. But yeah, I think I'm with you too. I I, I kind of I feel like Last of Us was the the friendly answer. Like people just did that one because it was the Last of Us. It was the Naughty Dog game. It was I mean great game, but maybe you know it, it wouldn't have been my game of the year. Final Fantasy Seven R was my game of the year for sure. And and I do I say that also agreeing with some of the criticism like 
it probably was extended out a little longer than it needed to be. Like they're trying to make it a 35, 40 hour game when it probably would have been better as a 30, 35 hour game. Right. Like they did expand a, a very like small section of the original and make it really long. Right. So I kind of, I get some of that. Like the whole in, ending segment didn't need to be as long as it was. And some of the story beats. So just some light spoilers here. Some of the story beats that were changed. I get that kind of could go both ways for people. And, and the way they ended it was also very, was a little more controversial, but I also think some of the things that make this game so amazing were the risks it did take. Right. Right. I think overall it was very well received for, for those risks. And I, I think the, the next endeavor of the game is going to be just epic. I can't, you know, I, I'm just so excited for that. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, and I, uh, wh- where do you think, where do you think the next game goes? What do you mean? So, I mean, of course we know the major story beats that Final Fantasy VII is going to do from from this point on. But, I mean, there's a lot of questions, right? Like, how do you handle an open world in the new, this day and age, right? How, how do they handle that? I think it will mirror a lot of Final Fantasy XV open world mm-hmm. with, with the kind of like hub areas i think you'll have with larger towns and you know like the beach resort area will be kind of an interesting i think a lot of people yeah. are looking forward to just seeing that scene take place in 4k updated 2020 graphics oh yeah right you know that that uh that would be that would seem to make sense if they went a final fantasy 15 approach with basically these it's these large open uh, sprawling areas kind of with soft zones and maybe introducing transversal vehicles earlier on. Like maybe you rent a car early on or you, yeah, I mean, you get Chocobo, Chocobos pretty quick in the, the first game in the original. So maybe they just make that a bigger part of it. Yeah. At least until you get to some of the areas where you need like uh, where you use a boat or you use a car or something like that. I think that would alleviate some of the problems with this large sprawling world. I, I think it's extremely unlikely that they do the like traditional overworld like you see in Final Fantasy seven uh, that kind of went by the wayside after Final Fantasy nine. We haven't really seen that any, since then. We see that in Final Fantasy 15. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy 15 has the large sprawling overworld, but it's it's not you're not like your giant goofy self on a map and and you have all these point map points, right? Right. But but I do think that's probably more along the lines of where they go with it. And and that would seem to line up with what they have done with 7 thus far, right? Do you yeah. think they go is um is linear? I don't I mean, at this point in the game, that's where it kind of opens up, though. I just don't know that it could be too linear because you still have, you know, the ability to interact with NPCs and start doing, like, side quests and things like that. Yeah. At this point, I don't know how they could... I, I doubt they won't have to do anything, you know, like where segments of the the world become inaccessible after a certain point in the game, like with yeah. Midgar. But So, yeah, we'll see. It's it's hard to say at this point. Another big big point of debate is like how far do you think they get? Like there was a lot of speculation with this first segment of how far it goes. You know, with some thinking it would go all the way through um, 
through to the the beach resort and some people you know clearly as we got further in it's like oh it's just midgar yeah um, i personally don't see them stretching out the segment quite as long as much detail as they did with midgar just because there's not as many huge sprawling explorable points of interest like there was with midgar i mean midgar was an area that it was so synonymous with final fantasy 7 and people really wanted to see more of it i don't think people are really super interested in exploring calm you know the next town right to yeah. the same extent, right? Um, you know, there'll be some cool things with like let's let's go into more detail in the flashback. I think that part is going to be pretty long, but outside of that, there, there's not going to be a ton of things. So I think we personally, I think we at least get through the next, the first Genova fight. Yeah, and I hope so. I hope we get further than that, but I I would I, I think we could see him get all the way to the Temple of Ancients in this in this next. And they might have to if they're going to do – if they're only going to do three parts, but it's still undetermined how many parts it's going to be. Yeah, I mean it could even get all the way to the point where Aerith – Yeah, let's yeah. – uh, let's uh, careful on the spoilers there. I know the game's uh, quite quite a bit older, but I know where you're going with that one. It, yeah, it could get to that point. I, I think that would be a uh, an interesting way to end the next – Part the of events, this. the events of the city of ancients, and, and you know, to go along with that is, do they continue along the lines of that the story is now different, or do they basically unfold the same way? I think That's the story question. will change a little bit. I don't think the ending's going to be it. I think there's going to be. I think they're setting this up to either have the potential to have multiple endings based on choices mm-hmm. you make, or you know, have a new ending entirely based on the events of part one. Yeah. Well, there's definitely going to be some interesting ways to go through that one. We'll have to just wait and see. Hopefully we get some news um, in the new year uh, about when to expect that. Well, and we've got some some somewhat disappointing news, too, is the the Final Fantasy uh, Crystal Chronicles um, port that came out on us. Uh, you know, a few months ago, did not seem to do so well in the the reviews. Yeah, I you know it's, I I actually like this game quite a bit, so I don't know. Yeah, maybe from what they could have done, you know, from a multiplayer perspective, it could be better. But I mean, I wasn't expecting. I mean, after a lot of the work they showed for the game, you knew it was just going to basically be a remaster of the original. Yeah. And unfortunately, for a game like this, it's hard to do a multi-platform functionality and make it work probably how they want to with not updating the the menus and things like that. I think that's probably where it fell a little bit. Other than that, it's the same game yeah. as it was on GameCube, and I really... I really enjoy kind of the dungeon crawl aspect of it. Uh-huh. Go back through and get some artifacts to get stronger. That way you're capable of fighting the final boss. You know, I, I never played the... I, well, I, I was aware of this game when it came out originally. Uh, it was a GameCube game, if I remember correctly. And it yep. had some cool things to it. I never really played it because it was, I, I wasn't really into that art style. It, uh, I think a lot of what upsets people is... It's got really long load times, uh, which is crazy for a game that was a GameCube game. They didn't really do enough in the remaster to, to give it quality of life updates. I mean, IGN gave it a 3 out of 10. Metacritic 
is a little bit nice. Metacritic is way nicer and gives it a six. It's a 60 percent. You know, it seems like the critics didn't love it, but maybe the fans, especially like what I'm hearing from you, have a who remember it fondly and know what they're getting into. Or like, yeah. this is, I'm glad I can play this again. I, I may, I think I may check it out. One of the, well, you will. I mean, we're doing this show. You'll probably have to because there'll probably be a game. <laughs> we'll see, One, Josh. We'll the, see. The best thing about the game is the music. It's probably probably some of the best music in a Final Fantasy game that's ever been made. It's it's really? just great for. Uh, it's it's just yeah. It's tailored to the game in terms of like the style and everything. The main theme is awesome. Um, probably one of the best main theme songs for any Final Fantasy game that was made specifically for a game. Yeah, it's just really catchy and yeah. It's just I've got a lot of fond memories playing this when I was very young. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, let's uh, let's pick up from where we last left off. I'll just give a quick recap for the listeners. Um, we started our playthrough from Final Fantasy 1. We started in Cornelia. We fought Garland. We went north after the bridge was rebuilt. Met Matoya as she was stumbling around. She told us her crystal eye was stolen. We fought the pirates of Provoca. Gathered ourselves a ship. Took off to the Elfheim Kingdom. Uh, and found out the prince was been put into a slumber for the last five years by Astos, the Dark Elf. Uh, we met a king in a destroyed castle who said that that same dark elf had caused this to happen. Sent us on a journey to the marshes to gather his crown. Returned to him to lo and behold find out it was Astros himself pulling a trick on us. And then we defeated him in, our, in an epic battle. Returning to Elfheim. Um... And then to Matoya, returning her crystal eye to get the jolt potion, which we took to wake the Prince of Elfheim, who next gave us the uh, the, uh, the the key. The mystic key. The mystic key, yes. So we beat Astos, we got the mystic key, and that's where we're going to be picking up is upon receiving the myst- uh, the key. Right, and so this is a one of the few elements in the original game, kind of just built in backtracking to um, places you've already been, because the Mystic Key allows us to open several locked doors and have access to treasure that we didn't have on our first run through the first few areas, um, yeah. caves, towns, and dungeons. And uh, these areas that we will go back to are the Marsh Cave, Elfheim, Ancient Castle, the Chaos Shrine, and Cornelia. Those are all five areas that we've been to that have Mystic Key doors so far. There are a few, I think, technically in later areas that we don't really have the prompt from because we already have the key. So first, since we're already in the area, we might as well just go to the the Mystic Key door for Elfheim, where we'll find... We'll find, you know, just money and the Mithril Hammer and Bronze Gloves, which are just kind of upgrades for defense and offense for a few of your characters right now. Then we'll make our way back to the Marsh Cave, where we find an antidote, gill, and a silver armlet. The Western Keep holds a Falchion, Power Staff, and Steel Gloves. The Cornelia Mystic Key Door harbors the Mithril Knife, a Saber, cottage 
nitro powder, tint, and iron armor. Now, this is kind of the big item that the Mystic Key has the purpose for, which is nitro powder, because we're going to yeah. need that in the next area, the next new area we go to. And it's, it's and, probably important to note, too, that the items may vary depending on which version of the game you play. Um, cause right. I, for example, I know there's no cottages in the NES version. Right. So uh, we have the items for the versions that you and I played. Right. But we, we are, you know, doing this. We It's my favorite part, getting the new loot that we get and yeah. getting stocked you, up and armed. Well, you and ready you to get go a play. lot at once. You get yeah, a you lot do. at once. I mean, especially... For you know, for, like I mentioned earlier in the past episode, the uh, where you kind of just start getting items in bunches for that traditional loadout of two fighters, a mage and a or a black mm-hmm. mage and a white mage. You're getting all a lot of those items right now. And at the Chaos Shrine for your warriors, you'll grab a Werebuster and a Rune Blade, which are both like essentially um, very good weapons to have. Comparable, yeah, comparable in power. Um, you're not gonna find too many more wear enemies. But still, the the Werebuster has decent power for this point in the game. And then, after this, we make our way to the new area by boat called Mount Durger. We dock over there. uh, It's to the the west, right? Right, yeah, which we we leave Cornelia's dock area, head west, park our boat on a little bit east, east of our location above, and make our way west to the Mount Durger entrance. And we actually do have the Mystic Key. I believe there's technically a door for it here, which holds the Gill Tent, Great Helm, Worm Killer, another sword um, of comparable power to the other I like, two. I really like the Worm Killer at this point, and I believe I equip it on my fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's uh, it's stronger for fighting dragon type characters. Right. And then you also get the Mithril Mail here, which is another defense item for your warrior. So that's kind of crucial as well. Mm-hmm. And with that, we now have finally gotten all the Mystic Key items in the game. And as you continue to explore Mount Durger, you realize that there's a bunch of uh, dwarves here that are excavating this mountain and also running some kind of smithy work as well. The area entails a, a stony facade with minecarts and rocks everywhere. Um you know, the the traditional lantern-lit walls you would see in a mine. And then the elves, or the, the elves, the dwarves kind of tend to speak with a very thick, written uh-huh. Scottish-Irish accent. <laughs> and many have a catchphrase like rally-ho. Yes. Which is kind of a an interesting element of a first um, race catchphrase in Final Fantasy. You know, we see that carried on with the... Uh, the Moogles as well, you know, when yeah. they're introduced, they're, they're they always say Kupo. And we and this is something that actually they it kind of gets carried on with uh, stereotypical for dwarfs in the Final Fantasy series. We see that in later games as well. For sure. Now, as far as the denizens of this cave, a few of them mention some interesting words of wisdom. The first dwarf you see will say, "I'm." Looking for some levy stone. It's supposed to be amazing material that actually floats in the air, which is a little bit of a foreshadowing for an item you're going to get and potentially what the purpose of it could be. Uh-huh. Another one mentions a, a story point. It goes, that sound? Oh, that's Narek. He's smashing rocks in the back of the cave. Kind of gives you maybe the idea that you should probably go talk to him. 
Yeah, we should uh, see what this guy's up to. <laughs> another one just mentions the smithy there, um, which isn't really helpful until very late in the game. We're gonna. Yeah. There's more information we're gonna file down, right? We're gonna say right. there's a smithy here. He's working. He's he can maybe help us out if we need smithing. We've got this levy stone thing. Okay, well maybe maybe we that'll be important later. And we've got this other guy that we want to go see what he's doing. Yeah, and he he's, the smithy just kind of mentions the adamantite, which will be crucial for building something in the late game. There's also as we make our way toward the southern area of the cave, a couple dwarves talk about the earth beginning to rot, um, which is kind of a little bit of background for what's happening around the earth area of the yeah. game, where the earth cavern is and housing that earth crystal or orb. Um, it's our first real reference to what is going on with the crystals, right? How the crystals impact the world at large. Right. And we see, um, as we speak to Narek, the individual mentioned in the uh, prior conversation, he states, Nitro powder, the explosive force in this powder will have make a canal open in no time. I I owe you, kids. There we go. Now we can blather this rock to smithereens. What are you standing around for? The powder set the blow as he sets it. And unless you plan on going with it, you better get out of here while you can. And after that, we're treated to a small cutscene where the peninsula is blown open and we have access to places further west on this journey that we will assume get us toward more of the decay and rot of the earth, which will actually open the path to the city of Melmond. And that's kind of where you kind of see in the town aesthetic, especially in the later versions of the game, where... The city has been attacked by some sort of monster, and excuse me, um, there's a lot of decay on the ground appearing, just kind of damage. And when you speak to some of the people, um, they mentioned that the vampire attacked, yeah, and destroyed the church, leaving the city in shambles. Perhaps he has something to do with the ruination of the earth. Then they mentioned about a wise man, sage named Sada, living on the a southern continent. And then another man mentions that there's a giant that likes to eat rocks. He'll eat just about any kind of rock, especially likes gems. And that's another bit of information that we'll file away for coming up here shortly. If you got an extra rock, this is the guy you take it to. Yeah. And so there's another man that mentions the earth is decaying, and it's all the doing of the vampire that lives in the cavern of of earth to the south. Uh The town is in such rotten shape because he's blocking the flow of power to the earth. Will you stop him for us? And being the warriors of light, of course, they choose to make their way toward this cavern in hopes of bringing light back to the earth crystal. I will add, too, that Melmond is a great place uh, to start stocking up on new spells, new armor, new weapons. I mean, you know, we got we just got a bunch of new stuff, but Melmond really has access to some great early spells uh, that we get at they this do. point. And they also have... Uh, for your knight characters, they have the knight's armor, which mm-hmm. if you can afford it right now, um, oh, it's, yeah. like, it's like 26,000 gil, I think, for one pair of it. And to be quite honest, you're going to find stuff here in like the next area that already kind of equals it for free. So, I don't know. It's up to you if you would like to buy that if for yeah. anything, just to kind of complete the uh, equipment that you can find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for completionists, this is a good place to you'll want to stock up on. Um, and it's also of note that because this area is uh, an area where you'll be coming back to, at least through parts of this um, play, 
uh, parts of this uh, exploration, some of the spells you may not be a high enough level for at the moment. Right, yeah, they're made for a white wizard, which we uh, are unsure of how to become at this point, but our black wizard, white wizard combo. But yeah. I'm sure that will alleviate, alleviate itself here in the future. We won't so worry any, about that. So anyways, they head south down to the Cavern of Earth, which is a dungeon similar um, in traversal to Marsh Cave, um, and that our goal is to progress downward via the basement floors. There are many different earth elemental enemies here, including literal earth elementals, and <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the type of enemy that you're going to be introduced to in um, each story area of the game. The, el- the elemental enemies. One real. One real notable one that you'll fight is the cockatrice. Right. Which anybody who's played a Final Fantasy game knows that cockatrices have this annoying habit of being able to petrify your characters. Yes. These often appear in groups in this dungeon, and just their normal attacks can petrify you. So uh, be prepared to either heal petrification or to quickly lose your game, right? Because if yeah, you're all petrified, gonna be, you're done. It's going to be ugly. But there's also an interesting uh, built-in like grinding area in this game, which I think the developers put on purpose. Um, on the very first floor, you've kind of got like a like four branching paths apparent. They're actually connected on two two sides, um, but one to the western part of the first floor. Um, each step you take on it, you're put into a battle with. Yeah. Um, some variation of a group of hill gigas and like uh, uh, giant lizards, and they net you a decent amount of gill and experience. Yeah. So even like just going through that a couple times will do a lot of the. Depending on um, what party you started with, it might be all the grinding that you would really need to do within the game. Yeah. Other than that, our goal is to just make your way to the bottom to find the alleged vampire. We find a few treasure items along the way. Coral sword, which is comparable to the three other swords we found this episode. A leather shield, which is neat. And then a sleeping bag, which probably wasn't in existence in the first games. But anyways, on the on the basement three floor, we enter a room with a large bat blocking the way, and you interact with it to learn that it's the vampire. And <laughs> the vampire says... All things in this world are destined to end in death. The seal cannot be broken, and so the earth shall rot. You cannot alter destiny. Mere mortals cannot kill the undying. And as far as like boss fights this goes, uh, as go uh, as far as boss fights go, this fight is pretty easy, regardless of whatever game or version you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, he regenerates health like in like maybe like low double digits single digits each turn and can paralyze party members but honestly at this point he should probably go down in two to three hits and uh so that's pretty easy fight after beating him we are able to pick up a new item called the star ruby and i think didn't we hear from some uh, somebody likes to eat stones and so they do backtrack out of the cavern of earth at this point because we've reached an impassable area there's a uh, a slab that we can't get past at this point mm-hmm. because we're missing some sort of key item and uh we go back to melmond and speak to a couple people to find out that even though the vampire is dead the earth is still decaying so we obviously haven't completed our task here 
He was and, not the fiend that we were ho- hoping he was. And so there's a cave to the west of the town um, where we enter and we see a giant just kind of blocking the area. It turns out this is a stone golem. And this is the the guy that uh, likes to eat rubies. And, and luckily, gems. we have his favorite food. Yes, and we feed him that, and he calmly agrees to get out of the way, sauntering off to never be seen again. If only other characters in this game would be so placating. Right. And then down toward the bottom of this area, there's a room with a great axe, a gill, and mithril hammer. So a few other um, upgrade items for your characters. After that, you can leave and walk around the overworld for a short distance to get to the Sage's Cave, where again we run into another character we've heard about named Sada. And uh, Sada says, So you are the ones who defeated the vampire, but he was only a servant. The beast corrupting the earth crystal lurks far deeper within the cavern. Here, take the staff with you and use it behind the vampire's chamber. So this is kind of uh, the game's way of telling us that we now have the ability to go further within the the dungeon. And we can fight the true villain behind the rotting of earth. Right. And we do, there's a few treasure items here in his, uh, his cave, the sage's cave. There's a, there's gill, there's a staff, a tent, and a mithril shield. Really the only item notable would be the mithril shield and gill out of those. And so now, um, with the earth rod, we can make our way toward the basement area of the earth cavern again and uh, go behind that slab. And we make our way down to the basement floor five where you finally meet the true evil of the Earth Cave. And this happens to be the Lich. And the Lich says, Who speaks to me? I am he who feeds on the power of the Earth. I will not be disturbed by mortal men. I am the Lich, fiend of the Earth. Now, interesting enough, I don't believe the the Lich actually says anything in the original version of the game, and he's the only fiend to not say something. (laughs) Sorry. I don't recall, actually. It's been a long time since I've played the original version of the game. I do remember the Lich actually takes up, like all the fiends do, but they take up a larger portion of the the screen than now, any of them. Now, so about the Lich, the Lich is, as you, you alluded to, massive in appearance, taking the form of a skeleton cloaked in purple with swirls of gold energy force encircling it. Although the Lich is the third fiend to awaken due to lack of resources, it is the first fiend encountered by the Warriors of Light. In the original NES version of the game, the Lich is the only fiend that does not talk to the Warriors of Light, as I mentioned, although that has been changed later in later games. In fantasy fiction, a Lich is a type of undead creature. Mm-hmm. Often such a creature is the result of a transformation as a powerful magician or king striving for eternal life uses spells or rituals to bind his intellect to his animated corpse, thereby achieving a form of immortality. The Lich is a popular construct throughout loads of fantasy fiction. Interestingly enough, a Lich typically has to have bound their soul or life force within some sort of phylactery or vessel. This protects the Lich from mortal danger because his body cannot be harmed with the life force separated from it, creating a state of undead. So I was just wanting to point that out. It's a little bit of a background behind the Lich. This is one of my favorite things about Final Fantasy is it pulls from lore and fiction um, that, you know, if you could go read, 
as, as a kid, I'd play this game. I'd love the characters. And then I would go read some form of fiction and, and see that, oh, oh, this is something I fought in this game. This is so cool. I'm so interested in that. It's so yeah. awesome. Well, and so as in terms of like that history behind the Lich, had you ever been familiar with um, the, the concept of a phylactery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. Um, you know, I at the time I hadn't been, of course, but. Well, and so that's actually um, the concept of a vessel or phylactery to put the construct of one's mind or soul is actually a fairly common element in fantasy fiction, even to you know today. I mean. I can think of one specific character um, in the Harry Potter series, Voldemort, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, tongue-in-cheek and not really hinted at within the game, but he is a lich, you know? He uses, he binds his soul in... Horcruxes. Artifacts, yeah, horcruxes, which is essentially a phylactery to house one's soul and making them immortal, um, yeah. unable to die, which is exactly what uh, Voldemort has become with his horcruxes. That's that's a really good analogy, actually. I, I hadn't actually thought about that, but yeah, Voldemort is a lich. I mean, it's um, just, I, it, it just kind of uh, hints upon the the level of permeability of mm-hmm. fantasy elements throughout different oh, yeah. franchises, so yeah. I think that's just an interesting thing to note. And um, you kind of talking about the... Uh, the, the um, what, what we're talking about here is... In the original dialogue, I mean, I guess it's not dialogue, as you pointed out, the Lich doesn't speak, but it. the game mentions, The fiend's ball cracks open, an ominous cloud rises, and an evil shape congeals. It is Lich, the fiend of Earth. So it talks about how it's coming out of out of this, this object that is probably where its soul has bound, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, when you fight him, you beat him. You beat him and you destroy this orb that he was in. Right. And the the Lich battle itself is not, you know, as far as like boss battles in this game, it's not terribly difficult. Um, as you have at this point, you've probably been gaining a lot of levels through the tough enemies in the cavern. And as I had mentioned with the with the Astos character having a set kind of path or, you know, magic and ability track that repeats itself directly. The Lich is also on that track with the order in which he will cast abilities being Blizzara, Sleepra, Haste, Thundara, Hold, Fyra, Slow, and Sleep. And, you know, uh, it, it's interesting, too, because he's the Earth Fiend, right? He's our first Fiend. He's the mm-hmm. Earth Fiend. And I think something that becomes um, common in later entries is the Earth villains tend to use earth magic right right um and and he just uses all forms of magic because he's this powerful great powerful lich right and you know being undead and um undead you would expect him to be extremely weak to both fire and holy magic in which he is uh, fire and dia Mm -hmm. that's no no news there in terms of for your own playthrough if you're struggling in this fight i would consider using spells like Temper, Haste, and um, Blink or Invis to increase your evasion power and um, speed to have more attacks. 
they're going to just do more DPS. And don't even worry about uh, wasting all your magic on this guy, because once you blow him out of the water, you're good. Well, you know, for right? me, so with my, yeah, I would agree, but with my uh, characters, having two thieves and a red mage and a white mage, I basically, every boss fight in this game, I had to do um, temper and haste. And um, I on my on my thieves the very first, you know, turn or two, just so they could be on, you know, even standing with some warriors and how much damage they can do. Yeah. So a little bit of kind of like a hard mode, self-initiated hard mode on me there. Once the Lich is defeated, they have also saved the Earth Crystal and stop the earth from decay. And uh, this kind of just ends this chapter of Final Fantasy, kind of neatly ties a bow on it, and sets up the the journey for the next crystal. Which um, we will do on the next episode. Yep. So I, you, you kind of alluded to, well, you didn't allude to, you discussed your how your character's kind of um, engaged I was, uh, so as I mentioned, I had a fighter, a thief, uh, a black mage, and a white mage. And so I did not purchase Daya uh, early on, at, which was kind of a mistake. But I was able to keep healing using my white mage. My fighter and my thief were more than capable of inflicting decent damage, especially with the weapons that we had been picking up so far. Yeah, and I just let fly um, the fire spells I had at the time, and he went down pretty quickly. Like I don't remember it being. That, that's another thing is this game is not one where you have these prolonged, drawn out battles like you right. kind of come out in later games. So that's it. We made it through the Earth Crystal. We saved the Earth, and now it's on to the Fire Crystal, I believe. So I think this is the time where we'll check in with listeners. So we've got another question on Reddit that we're going to look up. And this time, DinoMac2010 asks, what are your fave top Final Fantasy games? And this person lists Final Fantasy 9, 4, 10, 7, and 6, which that's, a, that's an admirable set. Josh, what are your favorite Final Fantasy top fives? Top fives. Let's see. So I would probably say number five would be, let's say probably Final Fantasy 2 Okay. is my fifth favorite. And I think there that's a lot of the reason behind that is that uh, it's where a lot of the pervasive themes within the game are even carried forward just from like a story and RPG standpoint. There's more, there's, a, there's an actual story with... Mm-hmm. Um, actual interacting with characters to initiate plot elements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the magic system is, although, you know, it was controversial, it's actually the first instance of a magic system in an RPG that does not lock specific classes within the use of specific spells. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is another interesting thing, because literally... Yep. Everybody everyone can be anything, right? Everyone can learn the the same 16 spells or 16 different spells, which is pretty huge um, from a replayability standpoint. Yeah. And then I would say probably the fourth one would be probably Final Fantasy 
three. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're going to get through your, a couple of your favorites here real quick. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, final fantasy three, I just love cause it was the first um, instance of the changeable class system for all yeah. characters stories. I enjoyed the story, traditional combat. It's really kind of just uh, the same motif as the four warriors of light as the first game, but with yeah, a story. Yeah. So it, yeah, yeah, it really is. It kind of pulls from, it kind of takes that final fantasy one and gives it a more in-depth story. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I would probably say number three would be probably final fantasy nine. Okay. I just really crowd enjoy pleaser. crowd pleaser. Yeah. It's a good game. Nothing too different other than obviously they have the ATB, the active time battle gauge in this mm-hmm. game as well. It's another element of the uh, number two on the list, which is Final Fantasy VII. Oh, uh, yeah. Just obviously the story, and it was pretty groundbreaking for the type of game that it was and the time first, that it came out. First 3D one, too. Yep. And then number one, I will probably say Final Fantasy twelve, which I feel like I've already mentioned several mm-hmm. times. I just love Ivalice. And then I would probably piggyback onto that one with Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, because that's in Evil East 2. Um, okay, okay. That's just, I, that was um, maybe the the second or third Final Fantasy game that I ever played, and I got hooked yeah. on the, the tactical battles. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's a solid list, man. Um, I, I definitely can get behind a lot of your choices there. Um, for me, I think, let's see... So for my number five, mm, I think I would say Final Fantasy VI is my number five. This is this is one of the favorites of Final Fantasy fans everywhere. Right. Um, it, it was the last one on the Super Nintendo. It really starts to look like they're they're trying to go to that 3D realm. They're really pushing to the Final Fan to to what we'd see in later titles with with the the graphic style because it's starting to push the graphics into the PlayStation realm. Right. The story is very open. You have this large cast of characters. Nobody's really the main character. Everybody can, you know, you ha- can have any party you want once you get the peop- everybody. And funny enough, this was I did not like this game the first time I played it. So it, it, it's really interesting that that was the case. Um, for for those who played it on the Super Nintendo as a kid in America, it was Final Fantasy three, and that's the first way I played it too. Um, was on the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy three. Um, my number four, you know, I think I'm gonna go with uh, with Final Fantasy five. I love that game, um, and at, you know, it may even be higher on the list. It's it's a loose five, a loose four, right? right. Final Fantasy four was a uh, was followed the same graphics of Final Fantasy four which I really liked. I loved that 16-bit style, and the color palette was great. Uh, the music's fantastic in the game. It's a much more lighthearted Final Fantasy that doesn't take itself super seriously, and I think that's really cool. I mean, you fight a tree, right? <laughs> You're the, you fight a tree in this game. I won't go any more spoilers than that, but uh, it, it, it's a really cool game. It has a great job class system that I really like. And it brings back that Warrior of Light crystal motif again. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a good list so far. So um, I'm going to say I'm going to jump in with uh, Final Fantasy IX as a, as a favorite. I remember playing this one for the first time on, on PlayStation um, and just loving the motifs, the aesthetics, the music. Uh, I really like the starting with the uh, the play 
I thought that was a really neat way yeah. to start a game. Um, and then the the concept that like you're thrown thrown into like a fake sword fight and yeah. If if you like make everyone um, applaud, you get how many a bunch nobles of money. can you impress? If you impress all 100 and the queen, you get a bunch of money to start yeah. the game with. I, I love that that beginning of that game. It's one of my favorite starts to a Final Fantasy game. Number number two, uh, it, it's I'm gonna cheat and I'm gonna put a two way tie for number number two, um, and that is Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII R. Okay. Uh, I remember watching Final Fantasy VII's intro for the first time on PlayStation, having never seen a Final Fantasy 3D game and seeing just how amazing those graphics were at the time. Clearly, they're not so great anymore, but for the <laughs> time, they were just so spectacular. Absolutely. The music's amazing. The story is so deep um, and has so many psychological elements. It's just fantastic. I love those games. And then I felt that way again when I played the remake, which was just... You, I mean, you can't ask for more than that, like to feel like a kid again, which is so spectacular. And then finally, my all time favorite is Final Fantasy four, which I played on the Super Nintendo um, as Final Fantasy two, which is the Final Fantasy easy for the for the Japanese folks. Hmm. Uh, and I love the story of this game. It's got a really really like the character the main character cecil just has this like really um in-depth internal struggle with who he is as the as the king's liege and who he is as a person there's a deep love story that that pervades is pervasive there's this counter between you and your friends and and just so much more it is the game takes you from the depths of the earth to the highs of the sky, and it is just a spectacular game. And Even to the moon, right? Right, yeah. I was gonna, I was kind of leaving that one out, but, but yeah, you're right. You go to the moon, and and it's just spectacular. And it is, it harkens back to Final Fantasy One again with the crystals. Um, it even has the little bridge scene when they go off um, on their adventure after like a prologue esque thing. It is just such a good game. Uh, and and my favorite. All right, so the listeners, you know, we've got some votes for for um, Final Fantasy. Well, I'll just go through some people's top games. We've got Final Fantasy 14, which is one I have not played. 15 and 7R. Um, we've got Lightning Returns. Wow, I haven't. You know, huh. that's a good one. Final Fantasy 9, 4, 10, 7, and 6. Those are some no, good ones. No 10, 2. Huh. 7, 7 R. Uh, Tactics. Tactics is a good one. 10, uh, 14, and 15. 6, 9, 7, and 5. And Dissidia, the uh, Opera Omnia, which that's actually a pretty good game. I, I played that one on my iPhone for a little while. And then I'll go through one more. This one says 7 and 7R. They took my cheat. Final Fantasy 8, which is, that's a good one. 10, 12, and 6. So we got some good ones out there. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. <clears throat> all right. So that's all, all we got for you this week. Uh, Josh, why don't you tell the listeners where we can be found and give them a taste of what's on tap next time. 
All right, so you can find us on Twitter at let's underscore mosey. Um, feel free to like and follow and comment and uh, give us ideas. Anything that you'd like to discuss with us, uh, we will more than, be more than happy to interact with you. We can contact us via email at letsmoseyofficial at gmail.com. If you're not the social media type, but you'd still like to interact, feel free to send us emails with ideas and other things relating to the show. And as far as anything else goes, feel free. We encourage you to like and rate our show on your podcatcher of choice, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, several others. I think that's about it. We'd love to get a little bit more content out there, especially maybe some artwork and Mm -hmm. Eventually, I mean, I, I'd like to, I think I've discussed a little bit of this with Alex, but I'd like to, um, maybe once the world get back, gets back to a little bit more normal activity, maybe go to like some conventions and things like that and just kind of chronicle our time there, maybe even do some live stuff there if possible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What do we got on tap next time? Yeah, so next time we will start the water or excuse me the uh, fire cavern and crystal slash orb trek of the the game i how i have it set up as well we're gonna we're gonna do some extra stuff in this part of the game that you know you could wait to do but for my playthrough it kind of made a lot more sense to do it this way um and i'll kind of explain it when we get there but uh yeah um, that's cool. kind of, I think that'll probably round out in episode two of the, or rather episode three of the walkthrough of the uh, crystals. Awesome. All right. Well, from Let's Mosey, we thank you for listening and look forward to discussing with you all in the future. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Later.